Hello, One World podcast listeners. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to speak with someone that strives to combat climate change, harmful farming practices, and everything in between. She is the recipient of a slew of prestigious awards, including the Marianne Hartman Award, Shriver Award for Distinguished Humanitarian Service, and Garden Club of America Distinguished Service Award. After serving in the Peace Corps in the 1990s, she founded Sustainable Harvest International, a nonprofit organization that preserves the environment by partnering with farming families to increase well-being through sustainable farming. Please welcome environmental activist Florence Reed. Hi, great to be here. Um, can you introduce yourself and Sustainable Harvest International? I'm glad to. Uh, as you said, my name is Florence Reed, and I'm the founder, and uh, my current title is Director of Strategic Growth at Sustainable Harvest International. And I founded Sustainable Harvest back in 1997, not long after my Peace Corps service, and founded it to fill a niche that I saw that wasn't being filled there elsewhere of providing uh, smallholder farmers uh, in Central America with adequate technical assistance so that they could transition away from unsustainable farming practices that were harming the environment and not producing enough uh, to feed themselves well and and earn decent income to more sustainable practices that would allow them to produce more and do so in a way that improves the environment instead of harming it. Okay, so if you were to dive in a little bit deeper in the environmental crisis that sustainable harvest seeks to address, um, so you mentioned central um, America farmers, what types of sustainable models and technical um, practices have you introduced to make their growth a little bit more sustainable? Sure. So initially, when I started Sustainable Harvest, it was the primary focus of offering alternatives to slash and burn farming. Um, short rotation slash and burn farming, where the farmers cut down more tropical forest each year and burn it, and then they grow crops for a little while, and then the ash in the soil is washed away, and they have to move to new forest, cut that, and uh, burn that. And I think when it was a small indigenous population, uh, coupled with hunting and gathering, it was a sustainable practice, but in the current realities, it usually is not sustainable, so it's harmful to the environment, and it also Uh, produces less and less of the crops that the farmers need to feed their families and and take care of their families. So I started Sustainable Harvest to offer them technical assistance to transition to more sustainable practices. And the types of practices that we uh, teach are are now referred to uh, by a a number of different names, uh, regenerative, organic, agroecology, uh, permaculture and some others are sort of particular approaches. Uh, and we, we offer all of this to the farmers. Uh, in the beginning, we were not 100% organic, but with time, we came to the conclusion that chemical fertilizers and, and other agrochemicals were at least as harmful as the burning was. And we found that the farmers could actually do better and produce more using natural and, and organic approaches. So things like cover crops, uh, compost, different types of composting, using mulches, using erosion barriers, integrated pest management, uh, uh, efficient microorganisms, building up the microorganisms in the soil, uh, and also in, in improving biodiversity. I guess the, the two keys, which we can get to in a lot of different ways, 
are building up and maintaining healthy soil and a healthy soil ecosystem, and then also a healthy ecosystem above ground, which means a, a diverse ecosystem. So when the farmers start working with us, they're often growing maybe only three or four crops, but by the time they graduate from our program, they're probably growing 20 or 30 or 40 or more uh, different crops. And this creates an ecosystem that to a great extent take, takes care of itself um, with a certain amount of stewardship from the farmers. And it does it in a way that draws down carbon out of the atmosphere to help stabilize the climate. It provides habitat for wildlife, increases biodiversity of uh, natural flora and fauna in addition to the diversity of crops that are being grown. It protects watersheds. It stops runoff of, uh, of chemicals and, and also siltation of rivers and, and offshore ecosystems. Um, and on and on, it provides this myriad of environmental benefits while it also provides a healthy, balanced diet for the family, a more diverse diet, uh, and more uh, production of crops overall. So there's also more income from the farm. Um, so I hope that answered the question. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think you touched on this a little bit, but what in particular is uh, wrong with chemical fertilizers? Um, and what might be a more sustainable, cost-efficient alternative for these farmers? Sure. Um, well, there, there's a few problems with uh, chemical fertilizers. Um, one is they're expensive. Uh, and so if the farmers can get the same results without spending the money on the chemical fertilizers, that's uh, certainly preferable. Uh, another problem is that they run off into the rivers and then down um, out into the oceans. They cause things like the, the red tides that are harmful to the marine ecosystems. Um, they're also, uh, even though they provide nutrients to the crops, they harm the soil and the soil health so that ev eventually it's harder for the crops to, to uptake um, th those nutrients. And it, it leads to a, a number of different types of degradation of, of the soil, which, which then decreases the ability of the land to keep uh, producing the crops. What would you say is the particular relation between these chemical fertilizers and climate change? Oh, that, that is an important one that I forgot to mention. So the uh, process that's used for making nitrogen-based fertilizers accounts for 7.2% of greenhouse gas emissions. So it's a significant contributor in and of itself just producing those fertilizers. And then additionally, when they're used in the soil, the, the process uh, ends up releasing more carbon out of the soil into the atmosphere as well. So in two different ways, chemical fertilizers are contributing to climate change, whereas putting organic matter back into the soil takes carbon out of the atmosphere, puts it back in the soil and helps to mitigate climate change. So one is having a negative impact and the other is having a positive impact. Yeah, so 7.2% is a significant um, portion of the global uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And I feel like many people might not know of the statistics. So um, we'll make sure to include it in the mini podcast series as well. Great. Um, can you explain the mission behind your business model? Um, sure. So uh, our mission is to provide transformational technical assistance to smallholder farmers and their families. And the way we do that is we hire local extension agents or field trainers 
in the countries where we work. Uh, right now, we have programs in Honduras, Panama, and Belize. And our local field trainers each work with a cohort of approximately 40 families. And they visit those same families every week or two for a number of years so that bit by bit, the families can plan out the transformation they want to see on their land and then implement the different practices and add the different crops that will allow them to transform their land into a healthy agro ecosystem. And we go through five different phases um, that the, where the families uh, learn how to produce a more healthy and balanced diet for themselves, uh, improve the income from their farm, and address different environmental aspects of farming as well. And once they're done, they're able to graduate from the program and they're able to continue on their own, being good stewards of the environment, taking good care of their families with what they grow on their land, and also sharing what they've learned with their neighbors. And at this point, We've worked with over 3,000 smallholder farmers, and together they've converted over 26,000 acres of previously degraded land to these regenerative agroecosystems. And that includes the planting of 4 million trees as part of the diversified um, integrated approach to farming that the farmers adopt through our program. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, you said 4,000? Uh, people, farmers, okay. Uh, three, three thousand, or a little more than three thousand, uh, farms, uh, and that's fifteen thousand people. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so how has the COVID nineteen pandemic affected sustainable harvest? Um, I can assume that with the pandemic, a lot of the operations might have had to take a pivot. Um, so in particular, what implications? does this impact on sustainable harvests operations have on climate change as well? Um, well, in terms of the, the COVID crisis, um, obviously it made it more difficult for our field trainers to go out and visit the families on their farms, which is uh, what's at, at the heart of our work. And so there was a period of time when they, they couldn't do that. Some of the families were able to stay in touch um, through cell phones. Um, many of them don't have that technology, but but some do. And uh, so we were able to get messages that way, in some cases, uh, photos as well. And in a, a couple of cases, I think even videos. And what really struck me during this period of time was the message that we kept hearing from the families on the farms that because they were using the agroecology practices they had learned with our program, they were able to withstand the the COVID crisis. Uh, it, they weren't impacted by the lack of food in the markets. They weren't impacted by the inability to get transportation to get to the market to buy food because they were growing everything they needed to feed themselves and even their neighbors right right there um, around their homes. And so they felt uh, very lucky in that regard to be uh, not affected the way many people were during the COVID crisis. Um, and additionally, they weren't impacted by the fact that they couldn't buy, buy agrochemicals um, because as mentioned before, uh, they found that they can produce more without them using uh, techniques and natural fertilizers that they produce right on their own farm with, with what they have right there. So. One of the, the silver linings for us was seeing just how resilient these practices uh, do make people uh, 
during a crisis, whether it's a crisis um, like COVID-19 or uh, whether it's a, the climate crisis. These same practices also help people to be more resilient uh, in, in the face of climate change uh, by having a lot of organic material in the soil, the soil is able to absorb more water and retain it. So there's less flooding, there, there's less drought. Um, it allows water to replenish the aquifers uh, much better as does having tree cover, which is, is another part of our <clears throat> program in, in the agroforestry systems where the trees uh, are planted with, with other crops. And uh, uh, then also in, in terms of the storms that come with, with climate change, having more permanent vegetation on the land allows the farms to withstand uh, th those storms so you don't get the things like landslides that, that uh, you get in, in other places during, for instance, the two hurricanes that, that they had um, <clears throat> in Honduras this past year. Okay, so... Um... Sustainable harvest, as you said, focuses its operations in Central America. Um, would you say that sustainable harvest plays a role in striving for environmental justice? Um, what did you say it's part of your mission? Uh, yes, we, we often, uh, we don't often talk about it in those terms, but I think it, it very, it very much is because uh, we're working with communities and entirely uh, marginalized communities who uh, don't have a lot of political power, don't have a lot of financial power. Many of the farmers who have been through our program say that one of the things they really appreciate is that it has allowed them to work for themselves, have a dignified life, um, dignified work that allows them to take care of their families. Um, as opposed to the alternatives, in many cases, they say that they um, have faced in the past or would be facing otherwise feeling forced to maybe um, work in sweatshops or um, on other farms where they're exposed to a lot of dangers and poor pay and unsafe conditions, or they might feel forced to leave their communities and try to um, immigrate illegally uh, up to the U.S., for instance, or to cities in their own country, uh, places where they don't want to be. They want to be in their own rural communities if they can sustain themselves there and, and take care of their families there, but they often find themselves facing these dangerous um, situations of, of leaving their communities to look for something better if they don't see a way for the land to sustain them anymore. So by showing them and working with them to take the knowledge they already have and combine it with some new knowledge to allow them to stay in their communities if they choose to and, and have a good dignified life there, um, we, we feel is an important piece of, uh, of social justice as well as environmental justice. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, so I actually watched a TED talk that you did where you coined the term, the salvation is in soil. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your TED talk experience and maybe one key takeaway that you discussed in that TED talk? Um, sure. Uh, well, doing a TED talk was um, a, a great experience, a, a little unnerving trying to get every word right in a short <laughs> <laughs> period uh, of time, but uh, I was really grateful for the opportunity to uh, share this this message that is so important to me, and I, I think is important for um, the rest of the world, uh, which is the fact that farmers such as the ones in Sustainable Harvests program are the small farmers in these marginalized communities. They provide food for eighty percent of the world's population, 
And they are ready to embrace these regenerative practices that can draw down carbon and help to stabilize the climate. They have very little to lose by making that transition. They have a lot to gain by making that transition. It's a little bit harder with the large scale farms who have millions of dollars invested in the conventional way of farming. Um, not to say they, uh, they can't make the transition and, uh, or, or won't, but it's, um, it's just a little bit more of a lift there. And um, just thinking of those 500 million smallholder farmers who uh, could benefit so much from that transition, they have the potential if they shift these regenerative uh, organic practices to draw down 6 billion tons of carbon out of the atmosphere every year into the soil, into the trees. And that's the equivalent of shutting down every coal-fired power plant on earth. And it's enough when paired with the reduction in emissions we also need to be making to bring us back to pre-industrial levels of carbon in the atmosphere and really stop humanity from going off this climate cliff that that we're headed towards. And so I, I think that is really the the key point of my TED talk is that we have the potential for one solution that will both feed the world and stabilize the climate um, at, at the same time. It's it's not a people or the environment choice. It's a choice where we can uh, serve people and uh, the environment. Yeah, so I feel like a lot of people, especially the general public, might not know the um, true power of carbon sequestration. Um, and it's and the fact that um, with more of these agricultural practices, the fact that you could, it's equivalent to shutting down all the coal-powered coal factories on Earth. That's an incredible statistic. Um, and I feel like it's really important to get that statistic out there. Um, while Because while it is important to change our daily habits, and um, especially for like mega corporations that um, basically rule our economy, um, that they obviously need to make changes too. But the, that statistic is very powerful. And I feel like um, it's really important for more people to know the true extent of carbon sequestration. Um, so uh, transitioning towards the end of our podcast interview, uh, what would be the best ways for some of our One World podcast listeners to help? Uh, well, th there's lots of ways they can help with this issue uh, close to home. Uh, a very important one is to think about where food is coming from and uh, when possible buy food that's uh, grown locally um, and preferably organically. Um, or if it's not available locally, then still look for the organically grown food, uh, which will be more regenerative, better for the environment. Uh, and, there, and then there are different levels of organic. <laughs> so um, if you can uh, know what the farms are like, uh, and if uh, they are ones that are using really regenerative agroecology practices to create a healthy environment, um, buying those foods makes a big difference. If you can grow some of your own food um, right in your own backyard or um, in containers uh, on your balcony or anywhere, uh, all of those things help. Composting either at home or through municipal composting uh, program, those all contribute to this effort. Um, and of course, my organization, Sustainable Harvest International, and, and other organizations like us, is thankfully we're not the only ones anymore. Um, we can all use uh, the support of, of volunteers and especially um, support of financial contributions so that we can hire more field trainers, work with uh, more farmers, 
and also work towards uh, our new goal of scaling up to impact a million farms by 2030. And we aim to do that by partnering uh, with other larger organizations and, and governments to roll out the, the program we've developed these last 24 years to a much larger pool of farmers and help lead the way towards this paradigm shift in that way. And um, people can find out uh, how to get more involved with our work and support our work at our website, which is sustainableharvest.org. Um, and then, of course, we're, we're also on social media. You can find us in all those usual places as well. Yeah, so thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Um, I feel like this interview had a lot of key takeaways for our One World podcast listeners. Um, so thank you for taking the time to create, help create a more sustainable green One World with us. Thank you.